0: Welcome to this week's sermon from Dale Partridge at Kingsway Bible Church in Prescott, Arizona. For more information, visit kingswaybible.org. Praise God, we are going to be looking at the sacraments this morning. This is gonna be the beginning of a three-part series. And I think this is actually going to be a very useful sermon. My hope is that you remember The words of this message for many years, Lord, that it would essentially help you comprehend something that we do every week, and I think that we're missing some of the beauty of what is happening when we partake in the sacraments. Now, our current church generation is characterized by a strong commitment of egalitarianism, We are very egalitarian in our culture today, which applies not only to biblical roles, it actually applies to every aspect of life. Um, This includes like a tendency to basically treat everything the same, right? We treat pets the same as we treat people. We treat children like adults. We treat adults like children. We treat men like women. We treat women like men. Essentially, again, everything is the same. There's this kind of prevailing ethos that's just dripping from our culture, that's discouraging to elevate yourself above anybody else in any possible way. And to add on to that, we are obsessed with casualism. All right, so we have one set, which is just everything's equal. And then on the other hand, we have this obsession with casualism. And we use it as a means of like leveling formally distinguished elements of our life Uh, that were maybe sacred. We just want to casualize everything. You know, pastors preach in t-shirt and jeans. Weddings have kind of shed their traditional ceremonial grandeur. Uh, Church architecture has become like flat and boring. We have rites of passages for boys and girls are gone. Uh, You know, the prestige that you would give to doctors and scientists and theologians it's all absent now. It's just been, again, it's leveled, and so we're in a world where nothing is special. Nothing is sacred anymore. Uh, we're a society of neutralizers. That's what we live in, and we're saturated in here in the West. Now this classlessness and leveling of society has infected the church to some extent. Uh, you know, interestingly, the word "secular," it's actually the definition. Uh, of secular means detached from God. It's an antonym to sacred. And the word sacred means connected to God. And so the secularization of culture is the desacralizing of culture. That is really what is happening when we see secularism come into a culture. It it flattens, it, it takes away the traditional specialness, the the sacredness of particular elements of our life. And it leaves us with a society that has no emphasis, no color. We look back in, in Europe and we go, man, what a beautiful culture this used to be. There was s- sacred. There was color. There was emphasis. There was holy. And what has secularism done? It comes in and just flattens things out. These are now just old, ancient, you know, landmarks of a culture that once was. And so I think that one place that we can see this indifference materialize in the church is in our view of the sacraments. Uh, We struggle to see the holiness and the heights of baptism and the Lord's Supper because we have this deflated posture toward anything that's formal or anything that's solemn or anything that's holy. We just kind of put it into the, it's all the same bucket. And so my hope in this sermon is to stimulate and kind of resurrect the recognition of things that are holy, of things that are good, of things that have been set apart, and especially the sacraments that have been given to us of God. So I, I want to restore to you a right understanding of the greatness of the sacraments so that our church can be blessed by them, so that we can have a culture by which other people come and visit and maybe join as members and adapt to the existing culture that we have here. And one of the core elements of a church is the sacraments. And so this is the first of a three-part series. Uh, I'll be talking about what is the Reformed definition of the sacraments. Next week, I'm going to talk about baptism. And the following week, I'll talk about the Lord's Supper. And so since we are a church that holds to the Westminster Confession of Faith, I thought it would be fitting to begin with how the Westminster Assembly defined the term sacrament. If you go to the larger catechism, you don't have to do it right now, but if you go to the larger catechism, question 162, it asks the literal question, what is a sacrament? And so it states, a sacrament is a holy ordinance instituted by Christ in his church to signify, seal, and exhibit unto those who are within the covenant of grace the benefits of his mediation to strengthen and increase their faith and all other graces to oblige them to obedience, to testify and cherish their love and communion with one another, and to distinguish them from those who are without. It's a pretty big definition that I bet most of us are like, wow, that went way over my head. I just thought I was just remembering that Jesus died. Uh, And we have to take ourselves back to the theological literacy and depth that has been stolen from us here in this generation. So if we break down that statement to four categories, which I did, you get four sections. Number one, a sacrament is a holy ordinance instituted by Christ at his church. Number two, a sacrament signifies and seals and exhibits unto those in the covenant of grace. Number three, a sacrament communicates the benefits of his mediation to strengthen faith, obedience, and communion with one another. And number four, a sacrament distinguishes God's people from the world. So there's four points that we're going to go through. I'm going to walk you through each of them, and I hope that you guys walk away feeling in awe of the sacraments, being restored to a right reverence and view of the sacraments. So number one, a sacrament is a holy ordinance instituted by Christ in his church. So again, a sacrament is something that is sacred. Uh, again, the term means to be connected to God. And it's something ordinary that has been formally consecrated by Christ. That word consecrated means uh, to be connected to God or to, to lay down before God. And so the sacraments are something that has been ordinary, but has been consecrated. And what I mean by that is, is that a sacrament is something ordinary like water or bread or wine that has some sort of invested meaning into it. So Christ has invested meaning into ordinary things, making them not ordinary, but holy and sacred. And this is again why the Westminster Assembly called it a holy ordinance. It's a set apart once ordinary thing. And let me give you a helpful biblical example of invested meaning, because I think you guys really need to grasp this part first. Uh, I recently heard this from a pastor, um, and I'm just going to use his example because I think it's helpful. It's Genesis 31, 43 through 53, and this is Jacob and Laban. You guys could turn there in your Bible. Uh, Genesis 31, 43, and 53. I'll wait for you guys to get there. This is about the covenant between Jacob and Laban. It says, And Laban answered and said to Jacob, These daughters are my daughters, and these children are my children. And this flock is my flock, and, that, and all that you see is mine. But what can I do this day to these daughters or to their children whom they have born? Now therefore, come, let us make a covenant, you and I, and let it be a witness between you and me. So Jacob took a stone and set it upon a pillar. Then Jacob said to his brethren, gather stones. And they took stones and they made a heap and they ate there on the heap. Laban called it Jagar Sedutha, but Jacob called it Galid. And Laban said, this heap is a witness between you and me this day. Therefore, its name will be called Galid, also Misbah, because he said, may the Lord watch between you and me when we are absent from one another. If you afflict my daughters, or if you take other wives besides my daughters, although no man is with us, see, God is a witness between you and me. Then Laban said to Jacob, here is the heap, and here is the pillar, which I have placed between you and me. This heap is a witness, and this pillar is a witness, that I will not pass beyond this heap to you, and you will not pass beyond this heap and this pillar to me for harm. For God, the God of Abraham, and the God of Nahor, and the God of their father, judge between us, end quote. Okay, so Jacob and Laban took ordinary stones, rocks, and they set them apart and invested a significant meaning into them. Significant meaning into them. They were, again, in a real sense, just a pile of rocks, but Jacob and Laban had essentially memorialized this pile of stones to be a place to remember the substantial promises and commitments that they've made to one another. And so people would walk by and go, look at that pile of stones, it means nothing to them. But Jacob and Laban look at that stone and it becomes a sign that signifies very significant invested meaning regarding promises that they made to one another. Okay, so in a similar way, Christ has instituted two sacraments for his church, baptism and the Lord's Supper. And he's taken ordinary elements like rocks, but he's taken water and bread and wine and he's made them holy and used them to communicate his promises to his people. Okay, so when we use them in a sacramental way, Jacob and Laban can still pick up rocks and throw them around and they're not throwing their covenant around. No, it's just those particular stones that were used in that covenantal manner. So we could drink wine on a Thursday and not be taking communion. We can go swimming and not be doing baptisms. But when we are using them in a consecrated manner, they are holy. They are signifying and sealing and delivering to us particular messages around promises given to us by God. They have been endowed with some sort of Significance because they are signs or memorials to remind us of the great redemption that we have in Christ. And so the word sacrament, just to give you a little history about it, uh, it comes from the Latin word sacramentum. And this is used in Latin translations of the Bible where the term sacrament first appeared. So we don't, we didn't have that word sacrament in the New Testament Greek. Uh, The New Testament Greek had a word in the Greek called mysterium. It's the Greek word that we use for mystery. And the idea of a mystery is that something that was not revealed, but now revealed in the New Testament, they used that term was a mystery. And when the, the term mysterium was translated from the Greek into Latin, which is called the Latin Vulgate, which is the Bible that many used for a long time, uh, they translated the word mysterium to sacramentum. And so that's where we get the term sacrament from. It's a mystery that's revealed in the act of the sacrament. And so uh, what we see essentially, oh, let me give you an example. I'll read Romans 16, 26 through 27. It says, now to him who is able to strengthen you according to my gospel and to the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery, mysterium, that was kept secret for long ages, but has now been disclosed and through the prophetic writings has been made known to all nations according to the command of the eternal God to bring about the obedience of faith. So again, that word in the Latin Vulgate would be sacramentum. And so this is something that helps us understand what the sacrament is. It is essentially an act that reveals a once Mystery about the plan of redemption. And so in the Lord's Supper and in baptism, we get pictures and signs and images, material functions that reveal to us something that was once a mystery and unknown to the people of God. And this is also, I would say, unique to baptism and the Lord's Supper. So preaching, prayer, singing, these are all ordinances that we see in scripture. They're ordinary means of grace and in and of themselves do not reveal the mystery of redemption like the sacraments do. I know some of you guys are thinking, well, wait, doesn't preaching reveal the mystery of redemption? Shouldn't the word, preaching the word be a sacrament if that's what we're talking about? Well, um, a couple of things. The reformers would say no, because the word and the Holy Spirit are the actual things that reveal uh, not the actual preaching. The preaching is, is an ordinance, and this is the big discussion that's happened in Reformation history. The difference is that in baptism and the Lord's Supper, they are both in and of themselves acts instituted by Christ to reveal the mystery of redemption. That's what they do. Now, I know you don't understand necessarily until we go through baptism next week and the Lord's Supper, the magnitude of what I'm talking about, but they are absolutely alternative forms of gospel truth preached through action. And so we'll see that as we continue to go through this series. And so I'm just going to move on. I, it was hard for me to stop and not go basically teach everything about baptism and, and teach everything about the Lord's Supper because we're just talking about what is a sacrament right now. And next week we'll talk about baptism. And, Next week, the following week, we'll talk about the Lord's Supper. So we'll get there, but we, we just have to first lay down the foundation of why are these things even sacred and what makes them different from any other ordinary thing. So number two, a sacrament signifies seals and exhibits unto those in the covenant of grace. I think that most of us understand the term signify. I think it's an easier term for us to grasp, but I think we struggle with the idea of it being a seal, what does that mean? How is a sacrament a seal to us? So I compare it uh, to, uh, the, like the seal of the sacraments, to the seal that a king would use um, when he would authenticate correspondence made personally by his own hand. Do you guys understand? You know, that you know, I'm talking about like a wax seal. They put the ring, their signature essentially would, would stamp into the wax and... Uh, it would essentially authenticate or make that letter official. It would make that letter official. And so just as the king's seal on a document essentially uh, bolsters the recipient's trustworthiness that what's in the document actually came from him, Uh, the promises of the sacrament function as a divine seal to God's people. And again, I know we struggle because we just don't live in this world anymore, where someone's sending you official correspondence with their signature with a wet signature, with a signet, you know, uh, wax seal on top it. just it's foreign to us. But that really does matter. And so I'm going to say something here that I'm going to repeat because it's important. Baptism and the Lord's Supper are, in a sense, tangible expressions of God's signature. Grasp this that we can look upon for confidence that the promises symbolized in baptism in the Lord's Supper are ensured by him alone. Like they're actually his assurance. God has said, I will be on this. Like I am essentially going to ensure and secure that these things come about. Uh, for example, let's just say that you have a contract with a person who's gonna pay you a million dollars and he writes this on a contract, and he signs it, and it's notarized, and he doesn't give you the money quite yet because the terms have not been uh, fulfilled. You're waiting for a particular moment. You might open up that document and look at that document and that signature, and it gives you assurance. It gives you security that this is actually going to come about, especially if the signature of that person was God himself, who cannot lie. And so the Puritan writer, Stephen Sharnook once said, the gospel sacraments seal the gospel promises as a ring confirms the covenant of marriage. That's another way. It's a seal, it's a sign on your body. Uh, it's a sign that gives you the promises that God himself will keep that promise on his behalf. And we can see this concept throughout Scripture, actually, where God stamps His seal upon us. But how does God stamp His seal upon His people? It's by the Holy Spirit. So we're going to see this, Ephesians 1.13. In Him, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in Him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. Second Corinthians 1.22. And who also has put His seal on us and given us his spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. You hear that? Romans 4.11, he received the sign of circumcision as a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. This language is all over the scripture. We need to grasp the color, the gravity, the beauty of God essentially laying down his, his seal upon us through the sacraments. Now, the sacraments are essentially the visible expression of the seal that we've received by God through the Holy Spirit in redemption. Again, I know these are big theological phrases and I want you to just hang with me. So they're not just like a pile of stones that signify a promise. They're also like a pile of stones with God's signature etched into the rock. It's it's more than just the memorialized pile of stones. It's the pile of stones and God's signature holding accountable the promises signified by those stones. And this is the language. Again, we're trying to have theological maturity continue to grow here. Now, another way to understand a seal is to look at a cattle brand. A cattle brand might be a little bit easier for us to grasp. Okay, a cattleman would demonstrate the ownership of his animals that are his by doing what? Well, he would apply a seal, a brand, right on that cattle. That one's mine. You can see it's got my seal on it. And the animal, if it could grasp the reality of what's going on, which it cannot, uh, could look upon that seal that's been applied to his body and be confident that he is owned by that cattleman. And that essentially he is the beneficiary of all that the cattleman promises to him. And that is exactly which we will get to in baptism. Baptism is part of that covenant seal. It's God applying a sign. What do you think circumcision was? Circumcision was a sign, a seal applied to your body so that you might know whose you are. Okay, so again, we're gonna start to see some of this beautiful connection and language that God uses. And I want us to elevate it so that we can be those people that are in awe around the sacraments, that we are not neutralizers that flatten out holy things. Number three, the sacraments communicate the benefits of his mediation to strengthen faith, obedience, and communion with one another. Okay, again, as I've been saying, sacraments communicate. They communicate something. A lot of us have a very immature grasp of what they communicate, but they communicate. So in baptism, the sign communicates that we will be cleansed from sin, united to Christ in his death and his resurrection. And this all happens by faith. It's also a sign because it becomes our initiation into the visible covenant community of the church. Now, baptism is also a seal. Now, the seal communicates that those promises of cleansing and uniting and inclusion in the covenant are actually verified by God himself. So when you get baptized, it's not your testimony to the world that I am joining the covenant community. No, it's God's testimony to the world that he's adding you to the covenant community by the hands of his ministers in his church. That is a very big shift to make. Who is the one that testifies at Jesus's baptism? Is it Jesus testifying to the world? No, it's God testifies at Jesus's baptism who Jesus is. So at our baptism, it's not you, this is a very American Baptist way to think, that's testifying to the world, I have decided. Have you seen the baptism shirts that you wear at the church? I have decided. It's all me, like a little pat on the back. I made a decision for Jesus instead of saying God saved me or whatever. So we've turned it into this thing that I am declaring to the world. No, baptism is God's sign and seal that he applies to your body. He essentially, by the hands of the church, is applying that sign and adding you to the covenant community. He is testifying that you are added to the covenant community. Now, it doesn't mean that you're saved. It doesn't mean that you have faith. It doesn't mean that you're regenerate. Just like it did with the Jews. If you were circumcised, it doesn't mean that you're saved. This is the big struggle with the Jews to try to figure out. You could be circumcised and be a son of Abraham and not be saved. Paul says, not everyone who's in Israel is Israel. No, but you were certainly in the covenant community. And there was real covenant blessings being a part of that covenant community. Think about families that wanna just raise their kids in the church, right? They might not even be saved, but they're smart enough to at least bring their kids into the covenant community of God because there's blessings there. They're gonna grow up with a moral compass. They're gonna understand right and wrong. At the very least, they're gonna have less pain and sorrow in their life. So again, it's a reframing that we're going to have to look through and take time over the next couple of weeks. In the Lord's Supper, the sign communicates what? The mediation and propitiation that we received through the sacrificial work of Jesus on the cross. That's what the sign is. It's signifying that there's a mediation. Somebody died. Somebody's body and blood was killed and spilt on our behalf. It's the physical way of communicating the spiritual nourishment that we receive when we feed on Christ by faith. Now, what's the seal? Stay with me, guys. The seal of the Lord's Supper communicates God himself has authenticated that Christ's death has actually appeased his wrath, and those who have faith can partake of it with the promises and have peace in them. And so, there is the substance of the promise signified, and there is also the seal that the promise is verified. I'm going to say that one more time. There is the substance of the promise that's signified. And there is also the seal that the promise is verified. That's what the language means when it says that there's a sign, they're a sign and a seal. Okay, they're kind of two dimensions of the same thing. They're a sign and a seal. And so ultimately, again, the sacraments are a tangible means of grace. They're tangible means of grace. They are physical reminders that strengthen faith. They actually strengthen faith. They bolster your assurance. And what else? Are they? they promote obedience. They put right in your face physically, tangibly, with the, the you know, taste and smell, the promises of God so that you can consume them and see them and hold them. It's very beautiful that God has given us these things. They are the material means of spiritual encouragement. Okay, that's different than preaching. Preaching is not material. You hear it, but baptism and the Lord's Supper, especially the Lord's Supper, is is a material means of of really grasping. Do you guys know about the Passover? You guys ever done a Passover meal before? We've done it once just as a fun thing just to experience what the Passover would be like. We're not the you know, what is the Hebrew Christian people that try to bring back the law. But um, the they have a, 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 a water that you're supposed to dip parsley into and the water is salty and you're supposed to, you know, eat it. It's salty parsley. I think it's parsley. And it's supposed to remind you of the sweat of the brows that was coming down on the faces of the Jews while they were enslaved in Egypt. Okay, Jesus is good at this. He's trying to communicate the the meaning of things through tangible expressions. And so when we drink the wine and we eat the bread, it's it's teaching us something significant. Uh, It's it's giving us the thing that's signified of the promise. It's also showing us the seal that it's verified by God. Now, catch me here. This is very important. Follow along with me. I promise this is going to be very helpful. This is important because for a generation that seeks to strengthen their faith, their spiritual well-being and their perceived unity in illegitimate and unauthorized ways, this is important. Okay, as you guys all know what I'm talking about because we have Christians all around the world pursuing spiritual and emotional experiences as a way to validate the promises of God. We live in a very charismatic time. We live in a time where people are looking for illegitimate and unauthorized ways from scripture to go and find the very substance that is actually found in the sacraments. It's sad. And it's because we're we're neutralizers. We've flattened everything. So we go, well, where, where are the high points? Where are the peaks? I'm looking for the peaks. I'm looking for that assurance. I'm looking for that hope. I'm looking for those, those things and they go look for an emotional experience, some song where you get into some sort of entranced moment with God. We become like children looking to vacations and toys as some means of assuring our parents' love for us. They're illegitimate and unauthorized ways to verify that our parents love us. That's not the way. No, the way to figure out if your dad and mom loves you is that, do they instruct you in righteousness? Do they provide for your needs? Do they raise you up in the admonition of the Lord? Do they correct you and discipline you? These are the valid ways and, and paths that we can verify if mom and dad love us. And that's what we're doing as a church. We're seeking and searching for all of these ways to find out how does God love us? What are the promises to make me feel more assured in my salvation? and we walk right over the very beautiful two sacraments that God has given us. And he's given us these spectacular ways to experiencing and promoting faith and assurance and genuine fellowship with one another. And when you combine the sacraments with the preaching of the word and the Holy Spirit bringing conviction upon that, you have this like trifold Mecca of spiritual affirmation. It's to to hear the word preached, to watch someone be baptized, to take the Lord's Supper. This is absolutely, if you look in previous generations, this is the pinnacle. And I've often been probably like you where I've seen stuff in church history and I'm like, why are they so obsessed with that? I don't get it. Am I missing something? When you read historical documents about the Lord's Supper, you're like, Why was this such a central point? That's how Americans look at it. It's because we, again, we are flattening classlessness in our culture. And so we don't need a new prophecy about the future. Uh, We don't need some charismatic spiritual experience to build up our spiritual security. Doesn't mean that God doesn't use emotion and direct those things according to his word that are valuable to us. It just means that we shouldn't be seeking That is our primary means of grace. And we have instruments from Christ himself working with the witness of the Holy Spirit through the means of his ministers in the church to provide Christians all the assurance, all of the hope, all of the faith, all of the theological nourishment that we could ever need. And this is actually the marks of a biblical church. John Calvin once said, wherever we find the word of God surely preached and heard, and the sacraments administered according to the institution of Christ there, it is not to be doubted, is a church of God. That's the mark. If you see the sacraments and the word being preached, that's a church at the very base foundational level. Number four, I'm trying to work through this pretty quick. Hang with me, guys. A sacrament distinguishes God's people from the world. Okay, Identification is actually a really great benefit to the sacrament. Okay, uh, baptism and the Lord's Supper are emblems of inclusion. And don't act for a minute that you don't care about that because you do. You do. These are signs of exclusivity. And as we know, humanity longs to belong. Humanity longs to belong. It is absolutely everywhere. We crave exclusive fellowship and integration with community and the hobbies that we play and the sports that we do and the clubs that we join. We are desperate, homesick for some sort of exclusive community. We want to belong. God knows this. It's a part of who we are. We are an interdependent people. That's how God designed us to be. And the sacraments fulfill this fundamental need to outwardly identify with an exclusive community. We can do that here in the church. These are your people. And what the church has done is made it way too easy to come in. People are just handing out the sacraments to people. Hey, just, yeah, you could take that, you know. In the, in the early church, you know what happened? If you look at St. Saint, uh, Saint Justin Martyr's account of the early church, I think it was recorded in 135, maybe 155 AD. I mean, the apostle John died a couple decades before this. And Justin's recording the way they take the Lord's Supper. And at the time that the Lord's, they called it the Eucharist would come, they would ask everybody who's a visitor and has not been baptized to leave, to actually exit the building. They are not a part of this exclusive time. We are so afraid of offending people that we're like, come on in, drink judgment. Come on, yeah, bring some judgment on your soul. I mean, that's like what we're doing when we think about, These moments, we have invited everybody in when in reality, no, no, no. You come in by baptism, whether it's an adult or whether it's a child that's a a child of an adult that is professing faith and has been baptized. You come in through covenant community. And so I'm gonna give you an example of this connection of community. Probably only got five more minutes left, so hang with me, guys. Ephesians 2, 11 through 13. It says, therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision, you were out by what is called the circumcision, they were in, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenant of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. There is very much a demarcation of being out and being in. And we love visitors. We want people to come and hear the gospel. But I do not want anyone taking the Lord's Supper that is not expressing faith. See, in Christ, we're no longer strangers to the covenant of promise, to the commonwealth of Israel. But we are now members of God's people. and We can display that affiliation confidently by partaking of the sacraments. That's how we do that. It's special. Do not flatten it. So ultimately the sacraments are, are not ends in and of themselves, but instead they are the means of God to remind us of the ends, which is faith. Okay? The promises of Christ. Justification by faith alone in Christ alone. They are christ sanction. Alternatives to scripture to communicate the ministry of the gospel to the people of God. I'm going to say that one more time because you want to remember this. They are Christ sanctioned alternatives to scripture to communicate the ministry of the gospel to the people of God. Do you know how long humanity's had a Bible the way that we have a Bible? Not long. I mean, you go back 150 years and you're not going to find most people having their own Bible. You'll have a family Bible. You go back like, 500 years, and you're talking very few people having a Bible. You go back for the first 1,500 years of the New Testament church, and nobody has a Bible. And so they are hearing Scripture here and there from different places. The last time they heard the Scripture was the Sunday before. And so these are alternative uh Christ sanctioned alternatives to scripture to communicate the ministry of the gospel to the people of God. They were like, in a sense, again, not being sacrilege here, but like the creeds. People memorized the creeds because they didn't have a Bible. I don't have a Bible to remember what I believe, so I remembered the Apostles' Creed. That's what I believe, and that's what makes me Christian because I have faith in Christ, it says it here, in the creed that I memorized. And that's why those things were so important because you didn't have a Bible. You had to memorize the summarized version of what Christianity actually was. Robert Bruce once said, while we do not get a better Christ in the sacraments than in the word, sometimes we get Christ better in the sacraments than in the word. Think about that for a moment. Think about understanding the sacraments so deeply that you understood Christ more sufficiently while taking the Lord's Supper than you did listening to me preach through Romans. That would require a pretty robust grasp of the sacramental moment. Really looking and seeing what's happening here. And our sacramentology in the American church is very weak because we're flattening everything. We're gonna elevate it again. I do wanna close with one important point because it's really easy to miss. I wanna remind you that to the unfaithful, the sacraments bring about real judgment. Okay. I'm going to read first Corinthians 11, 27 through 30. Paul says, whoever therefore eats of the bread and drinks of the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then and so eat of the bread and drink the cup for anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks the judgment, drinks judgment on himself. This is why many of you are weak and ill, and some have died. We want to take the inerrancy of scripture right now and say, yeah, that's 100% true. I mean, that is a bold statement that we really need to reckon with. And we will in the next few weeks. But the sacraments, what I'm trying to communicate here is that the sacraments are not empty signs and merely symbolic. They're not empty. They carry with them real graces and real judgments. Real graces and real judgments. They are endowed with some spiritual meaning and some um, uh judgment. Essentially, what it does is it's it's promoting a real grace in our life or a real judgment in our life, physically, like sickness and death. And it also promotes real substantial nourishment to our souls. Some will argue that they'll actually have real physical healing by taking the sacraments. I mean, if you look back in the Anglican tradition and you read some stuff about, you know, made from John Stott or C.S. Lewis or, you know, that, that vein of Protestantism, there is a absolute honor and reverence for the sacrament that will be very foreign to an American Christianity. And so I'm gonna close with a quote from Lewis Allen and then we'll pray. He says, where did we go wrong that we preachers have so undervalued the Lord's Supper and baptism? A glance around evangelical churches shows that the sacraments are the church's Cinderella's, tolerated, patronized, and even put to work, but little loved and even less glorified in. We love to celebrate a baptism and share the joy of a grace in a person's life, but we do not teach the saints to live in light of their baptism and to draw strength from the fact that they bear the name of the Trinity upon their body. And our partaking of the supper serves more obligation than celebration, something we would feel embarrassed to leave out in the physical presence of Christ, end quote. Let's pray. Father, we thank you, Lord, that you have given us authorized and validated means of grace, Lord, that communicate the promises of Christ that are verified by you, given to us, that we might find assurance and hope that we might remember the covenant that we have been entered into by faith. Lord, we ask that you would bless us with wisdom and how we partake in the sacraments, how we understand the sacraments. Lord, we ask that you bring back the peaks. Lord, that you don't let our culture flatten things that are holy and that you help us be a church that can exhibit such truths. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon. For more information about Pastor Dale Partridge or Kingsway Bible Church, visit kingswaybible.org.